This week in Revolt Black News, history is made with Kamala Harris becoming the first black woman VP candidate of a major political party. Y'all, this is a crucial and exciting moment we're living in because we know black women have been the backbone of the Democratic Party, well, actually this entire country for generations, and now we are finally being rewarded. Now, as we celebrate this achievement and examine its impact, we also look at another backbone in our community, the black church. Now see, the church has always been a core part of the black community, but if times have gone on, well, things have changed. And especially in current times like this pandemic, where resources are so limited, and there are many people whose only resource is prayer. So today, we go to church. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. So today we're looking at the Black church because at one point in time, the Black church was the foundation, the epicenter of our entire community. But we need to know where the Black church stands today, particularly in this moment of a pandemic. So specifically, we're gonna start the conversation with talking about the gospel music that comes from the Black church because for so many of us see the church and the music, well, they go together as one. So as the times have changed, the church has changed, and so has the music. So helping me to break it all down, legendary Kelly Price and Lecrae, welcome to you both. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Kelly, I want to ask you this. So you started singing in the church, and of course you started your legendary career with backup vocals for the greatest, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about what the relationship between R&B and gospel music was when you entered into the business. Yeah, changing the pronouns. Simple mm -hmm. as that. And and it, 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 it's changing the pronouns. And and if I take you back into the 80s when BB and CC hit, the, the people that put them out, their music was inspirational, but pronouns were used instead of God. And, I, and whereas mm -hmm. it took a while for the church to catch up, they felt it was um, intentionally dismissing the God factor, but it was actually a wise decision, in my opinion, to make the music palatable for everyone to listen to without feeling like you're being beat upside the head with a 20 pound Bible. Lecrae, I, I do, I think Kelly's onto something. I think she's onto a lot. I wanna ask you because your trajectory into being a Christian hip hop artist did not really start in the traditional church. Do you consider yourself a hip hop artist that happens to be Christian? Are you a Christian hip hop artist? Or do you push back on all the labeling? I used to push back on it all. But I mean, end of the day, I think people are going to associate you and call you what's comfortable for them. Um, mm. And and sometimes some some hills just aren't worth dying on. Um, but I tell people all the time to me, the church is a greenhouse and I grew up in the jungle. So I understand the jungle. Some people are like, oh, why are you hanging with Ty Dolla Sign? What you doing? I'm like, I'm not uncomfortable with Ty Dolla Sign, you know what I'm saying? I'm not uncomfortable in the jungle. I come from that, but but I understand how to bring these principles from the greenhouse, from the church into the jungle where some people will never go. Some people will never you know, uh, spend time. So we have to create from an authentic place. And I feel like when it's contrived and forced, people don't grow from that. People aren't, they don't experience change. They just, they just it just becomes a ritual, a tradition. We saw the black church very visibly during the civil rights movement. We don't necessarily always see the black church show up in this moment in the same way. And I want to talk about why, why I think generationally the black church doesn't seem to have the significance that it once did. 
Okay, so I'll say this. If coronavirus and this global pandemic has taught us nothing else is that we don't need a church building to come to on a relationship with God. The best Christian relationship is when you have a personal relationship and you don't have to depend on going into the building and having the pastor pray for you to feel like God heard you. That's what it is. It's an institution that's more American than it is mm -hmm. biblical. It's more of a business. You, you want people there on Sunday so you can keep the lights on and the bills paid. But that ain't what you was created to do. You was created to. Or your to, Cadillac to, payment paid. Oops. You fit all it. of that type of stuff. You know what I mean? So you're supposed mm -hmm. to be dealing with the sick and the shut in and, and, and talking to the people in the streets and in the communities and feeding those who ain't got food and helping the people who are broken and helping relationships. That's the that's our job. Now, you told us you are unapologetically a hip hop artist. I want you to describe as a hip hop artist your relationship to gospel and, and the overall hip hop gospel relationship as you see it right now in this moment. We talk about gospel. We talk about hip hop like hip hop had to umbrella to, to survive. It's now the, the, the most popular genre of music in existence right now. It's the most streamed is the most lucrative, but it had the umbrella. Mm -hmm. It couldn't just stay with one sound. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, as gospel is concerned, gospel's got to do the same thing. And gospel hasn't done that. And that's and that's what puts it in danger. I, I, I live in the middle. So people within hip hop say, man, we rock with you. People within gospel say we rock with you. But no one fully says you belong to us. So I just have to carve my own lane in the middle. Well, I'm glad you are because because uh, we need it. We need what you yeah. represent. Look, I'm very serious um, because we need those those points of connective tissue to bridge the generations so the genre doesn't die. But I want to ask you this, Kelly Price, for those of us that think R&B has been compromised and I'm not knocking the whole category, but absent exceptions like a Jasmine Sullivan, absent, you know, a Fantasia Barino, I'm not hearing it. Uh, Kelly, folks ain't singing like I need them to sing. And I want, yeah. to, I want to know from you, do you where, where do you think the future of R&B is? Before I had a deal as a solo artist, I was the girl singing on all them hip hop hooks. 90s hip hop literally was a marriage of R&B and rap. Yeah. That's who Mary J. Blige yeah. was. Yes. yes. But she introduced yes. that. And even Michelle A, before Mary came out, mm -hmm. Michelle A was singing over West Coast hip hop beats. And so that was weird to people when it first started happening. And as a church girl, that is all really, I was all melodic and starting out, like in my early days working with Puff, he would be like, okay, that's pretty, but I'm gonna need you to make that a little bit simpler because we trying to make them dance, not say hallelujah. Well, listen, Kelly Price, I revere you. Um, and I am I'm really grateful for everything that you've done for the culture uh, and for, for music in general. And Lecrae, brother, I so appreciate you. And I, I'm really rocking with uh, the fact that you just chilling with these casual Grammys and BET awards behind you, giving us uh, baby face energy. Very casual. Hello. Very casual. Lecrae, uh, in all sincerity, thank you for your time, your music, and everything else. Okay, to keep the conversation about the evolution of gospel going, we bring Jonathan McReynolds to the conversation for more perspective. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, historically, gospel where, was really where almost every black artist started their career, right? Um, grew up singing in the church. 
it seems to me, I'm going to just keep it 100 with you, Jonathan, that that pipeline doesn't really show up in the same way anymore, right? I'm one of those people that has been critical of some of, some of the R&B that's out today that is doing well in terms of sales, but it's a little airy, it's a little raspy. You know, I can't quite hear what's coming out your throat. Uh, what's your take on the current R&B climate and their connection or disconnection kind of from gospel? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there probably is a lot more disconnection than it used to be. It kind of hurt me, you know, to be at the Grammys last year and there weren't more black singers. Her killed it. I mean, and, you know, I, I love Her. Lizzo and Tyler, the creator, creator and all the other stuff. But when it came to just singing and what we are known for, it was a huge gap. And a matter of fact, the, the Demi Lovato's and the, you know, you know, uh, Ariana Grande's, they were the ones bringing the, you know, the runs and the, and the, the vocals, and the, the big vocal right. performances. It's just, it's just a different time. It's just a different time. And church and God uh, is not so much a centerpiece anymore for a lot of black mm. culture. It's more of an accessory. That shows up in the music, but more importantly, it shows up in the way we approach life and thinking. That is a profound analysis, Jonathan. I'm going to tell you why. Because this moment that we are in, this COVID-19 moment, it really, to me, kind of brought us to our knees and, and should have been a reminder of how important God and faith should be as that center point, right? So how, how did we see this show up? Well, we saw it show up in the overwhelming gratitude and celebration of the gospel versus battle. How did you read that? How did you read that reception versus how we show up in normal everyday, non-COVID, like when we are not in despair, it doesn't really seem like we have the appetite in the same way we do when we are in despair. What's your take on that? Uh, what the Bible talks about, um, how hard it is for a rich man to get to heaven. Uh, it's harder than getting a camel through the eye of its little, its little needle, its little stable. And so at the end of the day, we are a very rich nation. And the problem is, as with rich people all the way back in biblical times, sometimes that money makes us feel like we got this by ourselves. Oh, I'm good. I can buy whatever I need. I don't need no God. And so it really takes moments where this stuff is out of our hands. That's when you start looking right. for something that is in charge. This is not a surprise for me, says the Lord. Uh, it's only a surprise for you guys. And so I had some songs. I had some music. I had some people that were already put in place to get you through this season, but not just get you through so you can get through, but get you through so right. you can get me. Wow, uh, that is powerful. Well, I am totally here for it. Jonathan, I want to thank you, brother, for your insights here and for your music. Thank you, Jonathan, for everything. Thank you. I appreciate you. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are today's headlines. Now, as we all know, Kamala Harris, well, she's become the first black woman VP candidate for a major political party. Here's Joe Biden delivering the news. Hi, sorry to keep you. No, that's all right. You ready to go to work? I'm so ready to go to work. First of all, is the answer yes? The answer is absolutely <laughs> yes, Joe. And I am ready to work. I am ready to do this with you, for you. I, I just, I'm just deeply honored and I'm very excited. So I am extremely proud and excited about Kamala Harris making history as the first black woman to be the vice presidential candidate for a major political party. It is massive, it is huge, and I'm thrilled. 
but not just for Kamala Harris. See, I'm excited and I'm proud of all black women. Uh, this is the result of generations worth of work. It's the result, y'all, of all of us. It is the result of a hundred black men writing a letter to Joe Biden and saying, in no uncertain terms, you need to put a black woman on this ticket with you in order for our community to be bought into what you say you will do for us. So y'all, this is a moment that we should all be celebrating, not get comfortable, but be excited and see it as an opportunity to continue the work. And yesterday, Harris and Biden appeared together for the first time in Delaware to make the opening remarks as a campaign. Let's take a look. My fellow Americans, now let me introduce to you, for the first time, your next Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. As I said, Joe, when you called me, I am incredibly honored by this responsibility, and I'm ready to get to work. I am ready to get to work. After the most competitive primary in history, the country received a resounding message that Joe was the person to lead us forward. And Joe, I'm so proud to stand with you. And I do so mindful of all the heroic and ambitious women before me whose sacrifice, determination, and resilience makes my presence here today even possible. And of course, with Senator Harris joining the ticket, President Trump immediately began the attacks. Let's watch. One of the reasons that surprised me, she was very, she was probably nastier than even Pocahontas. And with Biden's ticket solidified, the Democratic National Convention goes virtual next week. Senator Cory Booker and AOC are amongst those slated to speak, but many are most looking forward to see our forever First Lady, Michelle Obama, as she headlines the opening night of speeches. And while Trump recently signed an executive order for an additional unemployment benefit of $400 per week, his aides have clarified that only 300 of that is guaranteed. Individual states can choose to supplement with the additional $100. Okay, y'all, so keep in mind that this executive order here signed by Trump also includes an eviction moratorium extension, suspension on student loans and interest and a few other things. An executive order was necessary because Congress simply couldn't get it done. And in COVID updates, now, contrary to original reports of coronavirus being a non-issue for children, the American Academy of Pediatrics, where they're reporting a 90% increase in positive cases in kids. So in terms of the mortality rate, while all states have not reported, the results that we have so far say that 0 to 0.5% of all children's cases have resulted in death. Now, despite that low number, doctors say that children can still display the same known adult symptoms. But additionally, we need to watch out for their difficulty in breathing, rashes, especially those that tend to spread, lack of energy, and problems staying awake. Okay, y'all, we have to pay attention to this because, see, President Trump, he's trying to use these relatively low mortality rates in kids to justify his desire to open schools back up. But see, here's the thing. While a kid can be asymptomatic for coronavirus, Many of them go home to multi-generational families all under the same roof. And then that asymptomatic kid could infect an adult, and then that adult could subsequently die. All right, so that's it for today's headlines. Now, coming up, we've got Israel Houghton, who's going to join us to discuss the new movement in the Black church and how it's being affected by COVID-19. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. One day we must not despair. When the glory comes, we must not become bitter. Nor must we harbor the desire to retaliate with violence. 
At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, our government was giving away millions of acres of land. And they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Oh, glory. I was going to down this bridge. God Almighty, help me here. We cannot give up now. We cannot give in. We must keep the faith. Keep our eyes on the prize. We must go out and vote like we never, ever voted before. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, as we continue the conversation today about the black church, we have to turn the discussion towards the current crisis, some would say, that are going on with this generation, the culture and black church. So I'm here with Christian musician and worship leader, Israel Houghton. Welcome to the show, Israel. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So listen, Israel, some people call this entire generation uh, a godless one frankly speaking. And specifically, there is a lot of questioning around why isn't the black church the kind of bedrock that it used to be for the culture and for, for our people? And I'd love to see your reaction to that. I mean, I still think in our communities that the black church is still the, the, the epicenter of where, you know, the largest people groups gather. I, I, I still, I mean, certainly prior to lockdowns and shelter in place orders, it was still the place that we developed our uh, relationships and, and continued building community. Um, I think, you know, the, the way I look at it is it's still a necessary place for us. Um, has it changed with, with a new generation coming in? With Without a doubt. I, I kind of want to correct the um, the assumption that we are godless. I, I don't think this generation has rejected God. I think this mm. generation has rejected the God of their parents. And so we still love God. But the idea of like the only way I can express my love is the way they did it. Um, I feel like that is certainly changing rapidly. Indeed. Also, Israel, a lot of people feel that they can have a relationship with God and prayer and spirituality, and they don't necessarily need to belong or attend like a physical church. As kind of you spoke to the previous generation really relied upon or seemed to. What's your response to this kind of modern take on spirituality and a belief system that's more individual than rooted in the church? I mean, I find myself in a very interesting generation gap there because, you know, I'm, I'm the product of, of baby boomers. I'm, I'm Gen X. 
but I'm married to a millennial and I have you, you know, are. Teenage we love Adrian. Hey girl. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she's funny because she's literally right on the cusp of, of uh, millennial and Gen Z. She's like, right. Me right too. We're called grandma millennials, Israel. We're like 80. She's <laughs> we're both 83 babies. So we're right there. She's, yeah. she's 83. Exactly. So yep, to me hear too. kind of the different expressions when I, when I talk to my teenagers about this and, and I have a daughter who's going to be 24 in just a couple of weeks, her take on church versus her take on God um, and her love for Jesus is very interesting because, you know, so much of, you got to understand, I'd spent 15 years at the largest church in America at Lakewood. Mm. So she got to kind of see the who's who of the zoo, <laughs> so to speak. And I mean that as a compliment, but like to, to see kind of the, the, the largest platform and everybody who is anybody that we would know in this genre has stood on that platform for her to kind of see the cult of personality church versus who is God to me? Who, what is my relationship as a believer, as a follower of Christ? Uh, what does that look like? And does that require sort of being a card carrying member of a church? All of that has come, you know, uh, under, under scrutiny within her own, her, her own, you know, belief system. And what I have found is, especially with, again, nobody's really going to church like that in the last six months. So it has right. forced people to go, all right, so what does my devotion look like now? Am I, am I logging on exactly at 10 a.m. to watch, you know, online church? And, and if I miss it by an hour or two, does that make me any less devout? And do I still Ooh. care about my walk with God? All of these things are, you know, if, if, I'd love to answer them with a exclamation point, but most of them are answered right now with a big question mark or a dot, 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 mm -hmm. like, we'll see, you know? And I feel like a lot of that is in flux right now. Uh, yeah. I do want to ask you about prosperity preaching because it's a thing. We all know it's a thing and, and, and it's some people's choice of, of worship. But I want to ask you, and for this generation, do you see prosperity preaching, which is, of course, the kind of, like you said, uh, send me $5 in a prayer cloth and God will bless you with a private jet just like he did me, that type of thing. Do you see that flying for this generation um, as, as it has kind of historically? Because that has been a thing in the black church and the black community for a long time now. Do you think it has a future in the black church? Uh, I, 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 I not only don't think it has a future, I think it's pretty much on life support now. I mm. think I think this generation is going, listen, give me something that I can apply to my everyday life. I appreciate principles. Mm -hmm. And even, even with thinking properly and, and applying principles of prosperity to your life, those are all great. But but at but at the end of the day, especially during a pandemic, especially during, you know, government shutdown, etc., like <laughs> I think it comes down to people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so the idea of, of really, really looking out for our fellow man right now, especially with the racial disparity that we're dealing with, especially with the obvious focus upon how systemically we have been screwed from, from the day we were born uh, into this country and the fact that we'd have to fight three or four or eight times harder just for parity. Uh, is ridiculous. Yep. And so, so the idea mm -hmm. of, 
Uh, and I and again, I, I get that all churches mixed black, white, Hispanic, mm-hmm. you know, ate that up in the 90s and the early 2000s. But I don't see it sustainable at all. And I think, yeah, mm-hmm. there are principles in the Bible that almost have been, you know, twisted to to accomplish whatever the message is. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's been about control. I think it's been about manipulation. Mm. I think it's been um, we've got our own systemic situations in the church world of, you know, black black tithes matter uh, as much as black lives. Matter. Come on now. And, Come and on I now. feel like I'm already wading out into some uncomfortable stuff. But the truth is, I, I, that's I, want, I want us mm-hmm. to really, really understand what having a relationship God really looks like and and how the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And if we can accomplish that, then we can worry about all the other stuff. I, I actually think that's a beautiful note to really end on, to be candid. I think you've said exactly what needs to be said to the issue. You can report back to Adrian that you spoke with wisdom uh, and sincerity, though, brother. And I yeah. appreciate that. And I appreciate um, your leadership. Uh, I really do. So, Israel, thank you for your time and for your leadership on this issue and your insights. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Anytime. Now, listen, y'all, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back. We're getting into black excellence and entertainment with Miss Stacey Ike. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now it's time to get into black excellence and entertainment. This week joining me, she's a media host, an actress, and an entrepreneur, Miss Stacey Ike. Thanks for helping me out today, Stace. Hi. Hey, Ebony. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you are with us and, you know, Stace, you know, you and I go way back. So this is a really special moment. So first up, this Sunday, Jordan Peele is going to again bring suspense and racial tension, this time to television with HBO's premiere of Lovecraft Country. Now, the story centers on the character, Atticus Black, who, along with his friend and uncle, journey across 1950s Jim Crow America to look for his missing father. All right, Stacey, so we know with Jordan Peele, we're always gonna get something interesting and provocative. Are we here for this brand new show? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I personally believe that Jordan Peele is the Beyonce of filmmaking because for him, it was like, listen, I'm gonna do some mainstream stuff for a minute and then every, and mm-hmm. then now I'm in the room and I'm the leader in that room. I'm going to give you black mm-hmm. excellence at every turning point. And I think that is so incredible. Like this is just another moment of Jordan Peele saying, hey, this is what the real deal is. This is what the real storytelling is. And this is my real passions come to life. I'm so excited about this project. And I'm really excited that who he's working with on this project, Misha Green's going to mm-hmm. be on there, the executive producer, which just gives me flashbacks to Underground, which gives me incredible flashbacks. Yes. To Smollett, and you're like, okay, 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 this is all making sense. So I'm just like, I'm so proud of the cast, I'm proud of the crew, a lot of heavy hitters on this show, and honestly, just getting to see Journey again shine in this way, in a show that, of course, is so important to the Black story and the Black evolution of who we are, she's the perfect person to tell it, he's the greatest person at EP it, and I'm just happy with all the different people together to make this happen. I am too, Stacey. I got to tell you, when you said underground, like something 
you know, mm -hmm. lit up in my spirit. I thought that it was a great show and, and hugely really underappreciated. And I agree with you too, uh, to see Journey Smollett back on our screens and with the legendary Courtney B. Vance, because I live for this brother. Again, another actor, Emmy Award winning now, of course, uh, with his turn in The People versus OJ, but just stellar, stellar talent. I'm excited to see what Jordan Peele gives us in, again, this historic part of Black American history. Now, after a mid-season production halt due to the pandemic, the upcoming season of Fargo is now going to premiere in September on FX. The crime anthology goes into its fourth season with its first Black lead being none other than the legendary Chris Rock. All right, Stacey, what do we think about Chris Rock? I'm excited for him. I definitely watched the trailer. I love where the story seems like it's going to go. And I love how I feel like he's going to be a great vehicle to take us there. Because to be honest, I mean, some people say you've never seen Chris Rock in a role like this. I beg to differ. I know he's done a, a few more serious movies, but I think this is going to be a great moment where he can mirror his serious acting with that ex that hint of comedy because Fargo itself is just one of those shows that it's really well done in the sense that yes it is more serious and crime based and but there's always a hint of like that funny character and I think he's going to be really great in bringing that to life. I do too. Listen, I love Chris Rock. I think he's one of the epic talents of our time, our generation. Love him doing stand up. Now I'm going to tell you the truth though, Stace. There was one Chris Rock role that he could have kept it. And that was, of course, his turn in Empire. Uh, girl, he, he, he could have kept what he gave us on Empire. But absent that, uh, I am looking forward to what's going to happen here in Fargo. And, and good for them for finally getting a Black lead in that, in that role. So in movie news, coming off directing the Candyman reboot, Nia DaCosta is set to direct Captain Marvel 2. This will make her the very first Black woman to direct a Marvel movie. Stacey, this is huge mind blown, but I shouldn't be, but I, I'm mind blown because it's coming from the inside out. I'm so happy. I'm excited. I'm elated. I'm looking at this beautiful 30 year old black woman. She is 30 years old. Mm. Um, you know, age is nothing but a number, but this is just an epitome of who black women are. We direct Marvel movies at 30. Like, I'm sorry. That's incredible. And I'm I'm so impressed with her. Um, it was incredible to look through her rap sheet as well and just realize like who she's been mentored by, who she's kind of been groomed mm -hmm. around and how much she's put in the work to, I don't believe it's proving. I feel like it's just to arrive. She just arrived at the perfect spot where she belonged, where it was being carved out for her. Um, obviously, again, her relationship with Jordan Peele and Candyman, I think was just a great synergy to, to continue to catapult her into like, hello, I've been here and there's just a few people who are supporting me getting there, but this is gonna be a moment where we get to see this girl shine and I am so happy for her. Me too, me too, sis. Because again, as we know, black women are not one genre. We are not one category. We are the opposite of, of one note and one dimensional. So to see this young, talented sister represent in um, the, this legendary space, which is Marvel, uh, it's, yeah. it's truly beautiful. And I, I am very excited and very proud of her. So now yeah. listen, regardless of the internet petitions, Cardi B and Meg The Stallion, they are winning huge space. WAP or WAP, I'm not sure what we're calling that, um, made the biggest YouTube debut for a female collaboration by garnering, get this, 265 million views in only 24 hours. Um, I've seen the video. I have heard the song about 13 times plus over the weekend. Stacy, how cool is this to see? 
Honestly, it's it's really interesting. Not only is the video a, a really great collaboration of these two women's brands, but I think what was more interesting is the feedback towards that. Not necessarily just the critiques, but the feedback, the conversation that that came about mm-hmm. when two black their sexuality in this way, right? And so I had several conversations with friends about it. I won't lie. First time I watched it, I was a little taken back because I was I'm a, I'm an older sister, and first thing I thought about was my younger sister. I'm like, uh. Um, she can't, you know, I'm having that moment, but then I'm also realizing that, uh, my, you know, older people in my world did the same thing when little Kim videos came out. So it's just a part of life. What's beautiful about the conversation that's being had is people are understanding that when women own their sexuality, it's another way for you to remember that you don't own their sexuality, whether it's men, whether it's other women, whether it's society, you know, and that to me is the bigger conversation. You know, we're, we're having a lot of different critiques on, oh, that was too much or that was too sexual. But the truth is if this was a man doing the same video, the critiques would be very different. I was like, oh my God, creatively, this was amazing. Lyrically, I'm scared, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like as a woman, I'm realizing, okay, I'm proud of these women, but also this is too much. And then I think about other, you know, there was, I just believe that the conversation to this is exploding and is incredible because it's another version of us really being awakened to the roles that women play in this world and how they are so not one way. Listen, this moment that Cardi and Meg are giving us is extremely necessary, right? For all the reasons that you just pointed out, Stace. And as I evolve and and kind of grow up into my own Black womanhood, I'm going to tell you what I've, what I've learned, Stace. Everything ain't for everybody, okay? Everything is not for everybody. And I think what I love about the video and the lyrics, because I was here for all of it, let me tell you, all of it, um, all of it. And, right. and what I love is, it is such a moment of just enjoying our sexuality, celebrating it. And I love that it's two black women doing it. Uh, because again, we know those awful, stupid, ignorant tropes about black women, uh, particularly black women in hip hop, that they right. can never get along. They're always at each other's throat. They're always trying to outdo each other. Nah, kill all that. Meg mm-hmm. and Cardi are showing up, looking great. They're giving us BAPS, 1990s realness. I love it. A pink curl ponytail and a side bang. What? Um, I'm just here for the whole thing. I love the lyrical content. But I do agree with you, Stacey. I love that it is forcing us as a culture to confront our mm-hmm. misogyny and our hypocrisy when it comes to when Black women just show up and own the conversation of our bodies, of our sexual pleasure, and our um, our appetite for full satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just say it like that. All oh right, so God. listen, so oh, well, Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> that was so well Right, said. right? <laughs> listen, I appreciate so much. So proud of all the work you're doing. Thank you for helping me out with this week's Black Excellence and Entertainment. I appreciate you as always. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Bun B joins us to discuss the current food crisis. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. Rapper Bun B and former Houston Texans player Chester Pitts want to do their part to keep food on the tables of those who need it the most in our community.
refrigerators are popping up along some sidewalks on the city's west side, but they're not for sale. They're called Love Fridges, and they're being placed there to help supply families in need with nutritious foods. back to Revolt Black News. Now, as we continue today's conversation about the black church, we've got to include the food crisis in this country in that conversation as well, because we know racial discrimination is very real, but it only scratches the surface. The research shows us that differential treatment in race leads to differential impact in race, and that includes food insecurity. So to help us out on this topic are two people doing incredible work. We've got with us the founder of The Love Fridge, Radius, and we've got hip-hop legend, professor, and philanthropist, Bun B. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Bun B, you have been doing extremely good work in H-Town, Houston proper. You've teamed up with your home church, Bethel's family, to feed over a thousand families. Talk a little bit about what general circumstances led you to doing this work around food in that community. Well, my church is very active in the community. It's in the inner city. Um, it's on the southwest side of Houston. And on a daily basis, my church looks to provide for the people of that community. Um, they offer meals, you know, hot and cooked meals on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, but they always allocate food for the children, particularly during school. I have some good standing relationships with Popeye's as we have provide meals for us um, and a local uh, company called Antone's. And so we understand that these people need help. And if we don't help our community, then no one else will. A lot of what we're talking about here today is misconceptions or perceptions that there's a disconnect between the culture and the church. And what you're talking about is a very real connection. And we love to see it. Uh, Radius, I want to talk a bit about what you have started. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Radius, your concept uh, of the love fridge. Talk about how it came about and what inspired you and why it's important for you to do it. Much love and respect. Yeah, so Love Fridge, we just went over a month now. Uh, going, I think it's just hitting five weeks. I started to see these uh, fridge communities popping up. And I was like, how can I get this started in Chicago? You know, we got a lot of things going on there. I started an Instagram, um, the Love Fridge Chicago. Uh, I, I, love is just the, this natural glue. That's, 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 that's what everything comes to. matter how things get crazy, we have love. I knew, I knew people would, would align to that. So, Redis, can you talk a little bit about the numbers uh, when you started doing work in these communities, specifically Chicago or even nationwide, what those numbers look like? And, and can you just speak a bit to, um, to what your work has taught you? Well, even, even pre-COVID, you know, it was, it was already insane. I believe like at least, at least 30 million people on average are, are, didn't have access to regular meals. And, uh, yeah. That's definitely going to double over the next six to 12 months or, or, you know, as far as Chicago, our average communities that really uh, face a lot of this food apartheid, you know, most people say food deserts, but food apartheid is really what it is, racial discrimination. Neighborhoods like Austin and Inglewood and Lawn, uh, Lawndale and South Chicago, these neighborhoods, on average income is, is like at least 40% make 25, under 25,000. That's not enough to really do anything for their families. You know, we shouldn't have to do this. There's trillionaires out here who who eat abundance. You know, so it's beautiful. We're doing this, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't really have to. 
Okay, so Bun B, you know, we see all businesses are struggling in this moment, this COVID era. Uh, but your work as a board member of the Altus Foundation uh, really lets you see firsthand uh, how churches are working to survive this pandemic. So tell us a bit about that work. Well, for me, it's, you know, this is the community that I, I go in. This is the community that I'm around. You know, a lot of the inner cities, Third Ward, Fifth Ward, South Park, Southwest Side, whatever. This is where a big part of the people that support me live. And so rather than just being someone that takes from these communities, I wanted to make sure that I was part of the effort to give back to these communities. People are hurting right now, you know, and we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can. We can't help everyone. We'd love to, but we're going to help as many people as we can. Are people contributing more than before? Because you've been doing this work pre-COVID. How does does the the supply look compared to COVID versus pre-COVID? Well, it's, it's difficult because the majority of people that would normally contribute are actually now in need themselves, right? Oh, wow. So the people that would normally come in and help contribute, they're not in a position to contribute in the way that they would like to. So for us, it's really about leaning on the compassion and the humanity of corporate partners, right? You know, imploring on them how serious the need is, leaning on their humanity and their compassion to contribute and partner with us. And we've had great collaborations with um, one in particular, Brothers Produce uh, in Houston, Texas has come out every single week. But I understand that everybody that used to be able to do this isn't in a position to do that anymore. But you know, we're, we're godly people, so we know that God will provide and we just keep working and pushing forward and doing the best that we can in the moment. Bumby, you've been doing something extremely interesting, which is teaching a class at Rice University about hip hop and religion. So as this episode is all about the black church, I would love to hear your perspective and your insight about the intersection of hip hop and religion. Well, there's a lot more, more so, more so than just the intersections, right? It's about the parallel paths that they both take with respect to the black community. Um, Most black people um, and people in general, obviously, um, they get a lot of, well, black people, let's, let's start there. Black people have for years, gotten their information and congregated at the church. So the church was a place where black people would come together. They would inform each other. They would engage with each other. But even deeper than that, people tend to choose who they want to be around and share their worlds with by the religion they practice and the music that they listen to. Right. So if if I'm a jazz person, I'm going to typically have more in common with other people who are jazz people. Same thing with hip hop. These are the people that we tend to commune with because we look at the world the same way. We have the same views on many different things. Hip hop's always been a, the driving force of of community. I think that's it. You you just nailed it. It's it's hip hop. It's religion. No matter your faith walk, it is community. Gentlemen, the work you're doing is is essential, truly, to uh, to our people, our survival, and our well being. Thank you, Bun B. Thank you, Radius, for your work and for this conversation. Thank you. All right, so we hope that today's episode and the attention that we pay to the Black church can serve as a bridge for those of us who need a sanctuary but may feel some kind of way about some of the stuff that comes with organized religion. But regardless of where we are on this particularly complex topic, there's one thing we all know for sure. That's that our churches are extremely vulnerable right now, y'all, because of this pandemic. And although the church may not be the epicenter for our community that it used to be, we still have to take this opportunity to lift up the institutions that have lifted us. So y'all please, I encourage you, go to churchrelief.org and you can either donate money or take a look at their best practices drop down where you'll see all kinds of ways to personally lend a helping hand during these times of need. 
Y'all, the church, well, it's helped us. But right now, there are several churches that need our help so that they can continue helping others. So I'll leave you with my favorite scripture. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you use whatever gift you've received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in all its many forms. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.